Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be here and share with you this morning. Um, and I want to title it, just as our uh, pastor and elder Ernie uh, shared, uh, battle. We battle, don't we, as believers? And I want to title this sermon, Battleground, but yet mostly to concentrate on the fact that we have an enemy. It's not something we like to hear, even in real life. If someone doesn't like us, we, we wonder why or what did I do? But we have an enemy, and one of the uh, scriptures I want to start off this morning is from Ephesians 6, verse 12, where it says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world's powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So let me pray again. Heavenly Father, grant me clarity of thought. Anoint my words with your spirit and open hearts to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So this morning, again, I want to stress and really emphasize that we have a common enemy. However, my intention is not to scare you, but to make you more vigilant. It's a big difference between those two. You see, scaring someone kind of creates that fear for control, while making someone vigilant promotes awareness and empowerment. The empowerment that you need that moves you into knowing the seriousness of equipping yourself against the enemy. We as believers need to remain vigilant, not in fear, but in the awareness of the enemy's tactics and the seriousness of the spiritual battle that we face. For we battle even right now, we're battling. Most of you are battling right now. So again, we have an enemy, and I, wanna, I just want to continue to stress that. And many Christians often think and take the spiritual battle seriously, but many of them don't. Or we don't think it's a big deal. But what do you think of the word battle itself? The word battle as a noun, a general action, fight or encounter in which all divisions of an army are or may be engaged an engagement in combat battle. And as a verb, it means to fight or to struggle, to enter into a battle with. Folks, this is no joke. We have an enemy. Our enemy is not a joke, and he's not to be ignored. The Holdman NT commentary says it this way, Wake up. Pay attention. We are involved in a spiritual battle. You need to know the enemy and his attributes. You need to understand that we are in a life-and-death battle. That's pretty powerful. If we think that as believers that we are not in a spiritual battle, then we are already deceived. We are already deceived. Why? Because he hates us. The enemy hates us. Scripture in 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Notice it doesn't say be afraid. It says be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The scripture tells us already he is our enemy. And he prowls. You know what prowls mean? I think about like maybe a, a lion in the jungle. It's, it's to move restlessly and carefully looking for someone to pounce. 
That's our enemy. He hates us. You know, that verse illustrates Satan's relentless pursuit to harm and destroy believers. Your enemy isn't new at this. He's been doing this from, from Adam and Eve. He knows that if he can destroy a marriage, he can destroy a family. And if he can destroy a family, he can destroy a society. After all, he has been doing this since the beginning of time. I like to read a fictional, but I would say biblically true letter from the enemy to us. It starts off by saying, Despicable Christian, know this, I despise you. My hatred seethes for you, driven by the audacity of your faith. I weave webs of deception, planting doubts and eroding your belief. I breed division, fostering conflicts that tear your families and community apart. Temptations, desires, and sins are my tools, he says, leading you astray. I seek to extinguish your light, leaving you hopeless and disconnected. Take the words of Jeremiah 29, 11, and let them be twisted to suit my purposes. Let them say the opposite of what they are intended to convey. For I know the plans I have for you, declares your enemy, plans to cause you to fail and to harm you, plans to give you hopelessness and a future full of failure and darkness for your and your future generations. Pretty strong. And he continues, he said, it's funny because your enemy, I'm sorry, it's funny because as your enemy, I see your potential more than you do. I enjoy keeping you away from God's word and ignorant of the tools and promises that he provides. For example, like the armor of God. If you focus on religion instead of having a real relationship with God's son, I have nothing to fear. With bitter hatred, your enemy. Wow. Not something you want to read. But it's very true. You can almost take every word in that fictional letter and see that it's in Scripture. The enemy's goal is to keep our eyes on what is not seen. I'm sorry, not on what is unseen. If we can just keep our eyes on whatever our eyes can see, he's happy with that. The enemy who wants you to think that just because he is invisible, he is also fictional. He wants, you to be, he wants you to chalk him up like nothing more than a make-believe cartoon or picture or myth. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 say, For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then 
another one from 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that says, For we live by faith, not by sight. Again, affirming that what we do when it comes to fighting this war is to also be able to see the unseen. How do we do that? I'd like to share an example in Scripture uh, from the Old Testament uh, where we can see how uh, Daniel was confronted by an angel. And we see that the power of prayer and how God heard his prayers and the spiritual battle that happens against the spiritual forces. It's kind of a glimpse of what we could be experiencing. So Daniel 10, 12 through 14 says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. And this is an angel that comes to Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So we see Daniel praying. He's setting himself, his heart to understand and humbled himself before the Lord. And this angel comes and says, hey, fear not. Your prayers have been heard by God, and I have come because of your words. Isn't that in itself pretty awesome? That you can say that when you pray, God is listening? This is not just throwing words up in the sky. But it goes on. On verse 13, it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. As we read earlier, spiritual authority, this is one of them. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. There's not much more explanation on that, but we know that there is a spiritual authority. It withstood this angel for 21 days. So there's this battle in the spiritual realm between this evil spirit and an angel. Imagine in your prayers, imagine when you're praying for that unsaved family member, your child or someone else, and you think that what you're doing is just praying, but on the other side, the other realm, there's this battle. And God is listening. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So this angel got help from Michael, an even more mightier, mightier angel. For I was left there with the king of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So do you see the spiritual battle right there? Even in that reading, we know that when we're praying, we are committing our hearts to God, there are things happening in the spiritual world. But our best form of defense against the enemy is to put on the full armor. We've heard of that many times, haven't we? Put on the full armor of God because it's only when we put on the full armor of God and it's only then that we can stand and fight. The Bible speaks clearly about the reality of spiritual warfare. But you know what? Some of us kind of bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it doesn't exist. But my friends, let me tell you that the Word of God would not mention spiritual warfare if it wasn't real. And it's all over Scripture. But rather than focusing on the enemy, I want us to focus on the weapons that we've been given. So going back to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read from 10 to 18 this time. 
It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, they, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And finally, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's absolutely nothing there about being afraid. Hide yourself. You can't do this. So let's dig deeper into the full armor of God. We are now certain that we do have an enemy. We would agree with that. We cannot deny it. God's word tells us and as believers, we need to equip ourselves. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we each take part in turning this tide and threatening uh, the enemy? After all, not just a chase, it's a battle. It's not about running or learning how to run. It's how to battle. And I want to look at the scripture today and just kind of read it again. Verse 11 of what we just read is put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers, and of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And I want to point out some words here that we kind of just kind of fly by sometimes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when you, your day, evil, day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth. There's one of them, right? Buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition... To all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which, the word, which is the word of God. I know I'm repeating this several times. I really want this to sink in all of our hearts and minds here. And 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Okay, so what's Scripture saying here? We have an enemy. We need to wake up. We're in the battle. And because of this reality, here in this passage, we're given kind of two battle considerations. In order to not simply just be prayed on, we're given one, offense, and the other one, defense. Those are part of our battle. They're things that are offense and part 
defense, just what we need in battle in any struggle. You think about something as simple as boxing. You know, they t usually tell the boxer, protect your face, put your arms in front of you, uh, because there's going to be someone hitting you. And that's kind of the offense part. But then the defense is that sooner or later that boxer also has to hit back. And in Scripture, we have that. The armor, and in this armor you have these various pieces. You have the truth, you have righteousness, you have faith, you have salvation, the gospel. And I kind of want to go through this and see because who or what or where is the truth? Guess what? That's Jesus. John 14 says, I am the truth. So you're going to start seeing that even though Paul gave us a good, a good illustration of the armor, that all these parts are actually something even simpler. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I have a hard time remembering those armors and all those pieces. The helmet, what? The salvation, what? And it's well written. But the first thing that they talk about is, who is the truth? Just like it says in that scripture, and that is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. So you put on Jesus when it comes to the truth. Righteousness is the next one. Where and how do we get that? Again, from Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, Christ says, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Jesus is our righteousness. Faith, where does that come from? What or who? Same thing. Jesus. Galatians, I have, Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. There is that faith that the armor talks about. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our faith is in Jesus. Salvation. It's a big one. Acts 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is also Jesus. He is our salvation. The gospel of peace. It talks about that in the armor too. It is the gospel and where and who that it comes from? Again, Jesus. I'm reminded, every time I say that, I'm reminded of one of my sons when we used to do Bible studies. He had a, a little bit of ADHD, and he'd be all over the place uh, while we're doing Bible studies. And I always try to trick him to see if he can answer correctly. But he would, because everything he would say when I would ask, he would say Jesus. And guess what? He was right. Regardless, that's the answer. So salvation is also him. The gospel of peace. It is the gospel. Where and who did that come from? Jesus. Second Timothy chapter 2 says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. And it says, this is my gospel. Jesus is our gospel. But again, whose armor is it? 
Who does it belong to? It's his armor. It's not our armor. Sometimes we get, it, we get it mistaken and we think, I'm putting this on and I'm equipping myself and I'm going to go out there and fight. But it says it's his armor. This armor in Ephesians 6, 6 says it's his armor, not the full armor of your works like we try sometimes to do or what you've become as a Christian. No, it's his armor that we're putting on. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6 our whole passage this morning actually begins with finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, not ours. After all, Paul is quoting from even Isaiah 59 where it says, where the Lord puts on His own righteousness as His breastplate and the helmet of salvation on His head. Folks, it's not ours, but He is telling us to put it on. It's his work, his armor. He did it. We just get to wear it. Put on Christ. The God who is perfect love just wants to be in the right relationship with you and isn't thinking about how long it's taking you or how long could it be done better. That's human forgiveness. God is waiting and wanting for you to meet him in his way his identity, and again, his armor. And you know what? That's actually kind of comforting, isn't it? Because it's not me fighting. I need to be obedient. I need to put it on. But it's his. Those are all defense. Now, what about the offense that it talks about? What about the offense? Now, on second... I'm sorry, it's the second consideration we're given in Ephesians 6. Paul lists the armor, and then notice he immediately transitions from the armaments of defense for battle to two things. First, how to battle. So he keeps going from armor to action. He says in verse 17, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Scripture. Just like Jesus wielded in battle against our lying enemy and how he could, how he could because he, Jesus knew exactly who he was, his identity was unshakable. Jesus' identity was unshakable. So he fought back after taking the arrow by going to the Bible. Even Jesus. So in other words, those fiery arrows, those darts, those things that the enemy was trying to throw at Scripture, the offense that he had was Scripture. So how is offense of Scripture connected to the defense of the armor? Well, you don't go into battle with a sword blazing, quoting Scripture, doing battle with the enemy without first knowing who you are in Jesus. Remember that Shadrach, no, no, uh, not Shadrach, the, the sons of Shiva, where they thought they can um, cause this man who had an evil spirit to come out. And the evil spirit says, I know this person, I know that person, but who are you? And all of a sudden they got, they got beaten up. Again, 
when we wear this armor, we also need to make sure that we know who we are in Christ, that we have a relationship with him. It's not just about knowing the armor and wearing it. Right after Paul says, take the sword, then he pivots and he goes right into prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So our offense is this. We wield the truth of God from his word. He defines who he is and who we are. And we battle in prayer. We partner with God not only in a physical but also in a spiritual realm. And verse 12 says, Our battle is not of flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. But know this. Putting on the armor isn't something you do by yourself alone. It's a beautiful connection. A partnering, a pairing of our defense and offense with Jesus Christ. And our identity and a relationship with him. Let me remind you again, we have an enemy. Are you going about the battle by yourself? Because if you are, you're, you're spending all kinds of energy and being defeated so easily. Are you doing this in your flesh? I encourage you not to. Put on the, put on the armor, but then make sure that each piece of that armor is you putting on Christ, you putting on Jesus, because each of those pieces are Jesus. Jesus is our armor, and we need to put on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have shown us in so many places in your word that we do have an enemy. And Lord, that you have not left us alone here to fight this in our way. You've given us the armor and you've given us each of those representing Christ. But Lord, it's more than just that. You also desire and want us to have a relationship with you. So with the armor and with our relationship with you, we can be successful and, and be triumphal when it comes to our battles. So Lord, I pray, I pray for that for all of us. I pray, Lord, uh, for everyone that's here. I pray for the elders. I pray for the children. Uh, Lord, the enemy does not discriminate, especially children. If he can destroy children when they're young, he can make them slaves as men and women, as adults. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the awareness. Help us be equipped and vigilant. Take away any fear that we might have, Lord. If we have fear, Lord, chances are we're doing this by ourselves. We want you, Lord, to be in the front, center, left, right, and back of us as we are here on earth being light for you. And again, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.